Did you know there is a website called DisneyAddicts.com? Did you guys know that? I didn't either until I Googled it. Some of you probably want to go there and check it out. Maybe you are a Disney addict. I am not. And so I had to get research from the professionals. And I wanted to look up a list of the top 10 favorite Disney movies to watch with your significant other. So this DisneyAddicts.com gave me this list. I'm going to give you five today, but let me tell you one disclaimer. This list is not objective, nor is it my personal list. So I don't want text messages or comment cards or emails saying that I got it all wrong, because maybe I do. But these are the five of the ten, top ten Disney movies to watch with your significant other. First one is this, The Little Mermaid, of course, right? Now, the guy in the movie, his name is Eric. If you're new, my name is Eric. Nice to meet you. So, of course, Little Mermaid's got to be on there. And then, this is a surprise, Wally. A little, yeah, like a little machine love, huh? Everyone loves that. That's a good movie. Of course, Beauty and the Beast. I assume my wife would say that characterizes our love story. She's the beauty, I'm the beast, just showing you that. And then what about Tangled? Anyone ever seen the movie Tangled before? Yeah, a couple of you. I have not. And so I probably will with my daughter someday. But I heard this is a good one. And of course, we cannot forget the classic Cinderella. Five of the movies. And you're saying, why am I talking about Disney? I'm talking about Disney because they got it wrong. They missed out. How could they not make the Book of Ruth into a Disney classic? It would make millions and millions and millions. I mean, it's this beautiful love story filled with redemption and selflessness and sacrificial love. And in Ruth chapter 4, we get to see it unfold beautifully when Boaz and Ruth finally get married. Now, with every love story, there is always drama, and there is drama unfolding in Ruth 4. So if you have your Bibles, go back to verse 1, and let's join it there. Here's what verse 1 says. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now a repeated phrase all throughout the book of Ruth is the words family redeemer. We see that beginning in chapter 2 when Ruth is redeemed by Boaz because she needed help. And Naomi says, that's one of our family redeemers. We see that last week in chapter 3 when Ruth proposes to Boaz because she wants him to help them. And now we get to see another opportunity for them to be redeemed. And just to make sure we're on the same page, I want to give you what a family redeemer or a kinsman redeemer, other translations say, what a definition of it is. A family redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, is a male relative who, according to various laws found in the Pentateuch, which is the Old Testament, had the privilege or responsibility to act for a relative who is in trouble, in danger, or in need of vindication. And that's exactly what's happening. You see, when Naomi and Elimelech were married, they had land. 
And back in that day to have land, it was a really, really big deal, bigger than it is even today. The problem is, when Elimelech passed away, Naomi couldn't keep the land. She couldn't afford it. Now, she kept it in her name, but she had to deed it out, and then she had to move to Bethlehem. And there's come a time where if she can't pay it off, she is going to have to sell it. Unless someone like a family redeemer comes in and helps her out. Now, according to J.D. Greer, one of my favorite pastors who I like to study from, uh, study from, he tells us that there are three characteristics that a family redeemer must have. And he must have all three of these characteristics to be able to fulfill his duty. The first is this. They have to have the right, which means they have to be the closest living, rel- uh, living relative willing to do this. So that has to be checkmarked. The second one is they have to have the resources. So they had to have the money to pay off the debt. And third, and most importantly, they had to have the resolve. They actually wanted to do it. In any good love story, you have to have resolve. It's built on sacrificial love and selflessness. And that is so important that a family redeemer would do that because it was going to be at their own cost. Now, Boaz, who we just love, and he is this dreamy hero in the story, he wants to be all three. The problem is he isn't. He does have the resources. He absolutely has the resolve. He just does not have the right. There's someone in line that's ahead of him in the family line that can redeem Ruth and Naomi before he can. He knows this, and so he starts to explain this to this guy who we don't know his name. Here's what he says in verse 4. He said, I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. And the man replied, all right, I will redeem it. And now I think if we were there... The guy would have been going crazy, screaming, give it to me right now. What do I need to do? Where do I need to sign? Because again, back in that day, just to be able to purchase land, that was a big deal. But what was also good for this guy is he only thought he had to take on Naomi. Naomi was a little older, and she couldn't have kids, which was huge for this guy. Because if he and Naomi were to die, then the land would be left to his kids because Naomi's sons have already died so this guy wants the land he's like where do I have to sign and so if we go through the three characteristics of a family redeemer that it has to check mark all the boxes first of all we see he has the right yes he's first in line does he have the resources yes he can purchase the land on Naomi's behalf and does he have the resolve not so fast See, Boaz is in love. And those of us who are in love, we're going to try to get the girl. Boaz knows something that we don't know. He knows this guy. Even though we don't know the guy, he knows the guy. He knows deep down, yes, he has the right. Yes, he has the resources. But I guarantee you he's thinking he doesn't have the resolve. How do we know? Watch this. Verse 5. Boaz told him, of course your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. 
It's as if Boaz is like, oh, yeah, by the way, before you sign, I forgot to tell you, you have to marry Ruth. This is a package deal. Oh, and by the way, Ruth, she's a widow. She's young and she's childless. And you know the law. The law says if you marry her, she will take on her deceased husband's name. And you know the Jewish law. If you have kids together, those kids would get the land when you die, not your kids. This guy, come on. He has a chance to help out these ladies, these ladies in need. Of course, any one of us would want to do that, right? Well, look what happens in verse 6. He says, I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, why can't he redeem it? Because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. No, 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 he can do it. He doesn't want to. I mean, think about this again. Here are these two ladies. They're desperate for someone to rescue them, someone to redeem them, someone to get them out of this situation. This guy, he has the right to do it. He has the resources to do it. But in the end, he doesn't have the resolve. Why? Because he cares more about himself and protecting what he already has than maybe giving some things away to serve other people. And I'm thinking about this story, and simultaneously I'm reading this little, little book. Literally, it's called The Little Book on the Christian Life by John Calvin. And as I'm reading this book, he says a line that reminds me of this nameless guy in this story. And Calvin puts it this way. He says, our self-love ruins us with such blindness. Our self-love ruins us with such blindness. Calvin is literally saying, look, we miss out on the life that we are called to live by God because we are so in love with ourselves that it's rendered us blind to the purpose that we've been created for. And Jesus says that purpose is simple. Love God and love people. The problem is we can't love God and love people if we're blind to who God is and what people need. If we're so self-absorbed that we can't truly live this life out like we're supposed to. And I remember reading this quote in John Calvin and, and, and really thinking about this nameless guy and Ruth Ford. I'm thinking, man, what a loser. How could he do this? He has a chance of a lifetime and he's so selfish. And then I felt like the Lord say, whoa. What about you? I'm like, are you sure that was you, Lord? Could that be somebody else? <laughs> what do you mean? And I felt like the Lord say, Eric, what about what Jesus said? Do you remember in Jesus, when Jesus in Mark 8 is talking about how we just go after our own desires and fulfill our own longings at the expense of God's purposes and his worthiness and his glory and at the expense of truly serving and loving people? Remember what he said, if you go after that alone, what that would cause? Maybe you are at that point in your life as well. So I went to Mark chapter 8, verse 36, and the paraphrase that Eugene Peterson says just punch, packs a punch here. It says this, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? It made me start to think, is there a chance 
that because of our own selfishness, because of our own pursuit of fulfillment that we think the world will offer, that we could truly lose ourselves in the process, just like this guy does in Ruth 4. That decision, he showed where his heart really was. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about others. It was truly about himself. And it really made me start thinking about my own life. And so I want to just give you three diagnostic questions this morning just to ask yourself. And we don't ever really stop and really ask ourselves, where are we at in our lives? And I just want to use this guy in Ruth 4 and what Jesus says in Mark 8 to really think about, could we be blinded by our own self-love and not even know it? Here's just a couple questions I just want us to think about this morning. Would the people in our lives say we are more like Boaz, who is selfless, or this nameless fella who's selfish? If I were to walk around, I have a microphone over there, and I were to put it in front of your spouse, or your best friend, or your siblings, or your boss, or your coworkers, your friends, your kids, grandkids, what would they say? Would they say, man, like, my mom or my brother or my friend, he cares a lot about people and would do anything to help. My, my friend, she is incredible, really cares about loving God and loving people. Or would they say about us, honestly, they do things when it's convenient for them or when they get glory. They don't have time for anybody. They will do it if they can put up a status on Facebook that they just did it. But honestly, no. They would never do what Boaz does in this story. It's just something to really think about. Where are we? Where are our souls? Have we gone a path that we don't want to go down? Or this question. When we have a chance to serve someone who is in need, do we just say no because we care about our time, our finances, or our status? I wonder if our lives are marked by three words that we say so often that we're so used to saying we don't even know we say it all the time. I'm too busy. Busy doing what? Busy going after the things that we really want at the expense of other people? Busy climbing the ladder at work at the expense of my family? Busy trying to keep up with everybody else so it looks like I have value and worth in this world? Busy making sure that my social life is intact and not ever practicing hospitality in my life for those who need it? How often we say, no, we don't want people to come over who are in need because our house is too messy. Who cares? There are people in need, and yet because we're protecting ourselves, we don't open up to people, then we're really living this life where we're too busy pursuing ourselves. I mean, think about it. When's the last time we lived like Jesus? When I look at the Gospels, I see Jesus on mission, and he can't help everybody. That's not what I'm saying. But he stopped along the way and helped who he could, who his father told him to do. 
I mean, is that the kind of life are we living? Are we living a life that every impulse, it's we're following the spirit, or at every impulse, we're following whatever gets us more and more and more. Oftentimes we define ourselves by the world and not what Jesus says. The successful life is the life given away. Sometimes we're too busy to ever consider what that could even look like. I know it's something that I struggle with. Or finally, who or what has control of my soul? Jesus says our souls are in trouble if he is not at the center of our lives. Now, I'm not talking about our salvation. I'm not talking about our place in eternity. Jesus is very kind to secure that for us on his own doing. But what he's saying is your purpose, your mission, your happiness, all of that is at stake if he is not at the center. I mean, think about your life. When Jesus isn't at the center, how are your relationships? How is your joy? How are things going? Because even when things go bad, you're okay. Even when things are good, it doesn't have to define you. But when Jesus isn't at the center, when things go bad, life is over. When things are good, we hold on to those things. That's why Jesus is like, look, your soul is in trouble here. If you don't do something about it, if Jesus isn't at the center. A song that I don't like to listen to because it's too convicting is a song by Casting Crowns called A Slow Fade. And in it, the lyrics are this. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turns to gray. When that man makes the decision to say no to those widows, that decision was made years ago. When slowly but surely, his self-love blinded him to what life is truly about. And when it mattered, he could not respond selflessly because God was not at the center of his life. This wasn't something that happened the day before. This happened days before and months before and years before. It's a slow fade. And for some of us, it's been so slow, we don't recognize that we truly, if we were in that position, wouldn't do it. But years ago, we would. Why? Jesus is at the center, and for some of us, he's just not anymore. Let's be honest. You know what's interesting? A commentator, I couldn't figure out, why doesn't this guy have a name? One of the commentators that I read in Ruth said this. He had a name, and I bet you the author knew the name, but the author would not allow that name to be in his book. Why? Because this book was built on selflessness, not selfishness. And who is this guy who acted so selfish to get any recognition. And I started to think, hundreds of years later, here we are studying this book. No one knows who it is. And I'm wondering, as we get older, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, down the line, what are we going to be known for? Are we just going to be a nameless, faceless person because we just lived for ourselves? Or will we give ourselves away like Boaz? You see, Boaz gives himself away at the detriment of himself, because that's what love does. Look how sacrificial this wedding ceremony is. You read this, and you tell me every time you see Boaz doing something for himself. Verses 9 and 10. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, 
Kilion, and Malon. And with the land, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are my witnesses today. He does it for Naomi to redeem the land. He does it for Ruth to marry her so she can have a son. He does nothing for himself. It's at his cost, his expense, that he gives himself away. And don't you know it, because of this, they have a baby. And that baby, you will see, is in the lineage of Jesus himself. Selflessness and unconditional love reverberates in history. And it can reverberate in your personal history. Some of us are so miserable, we don't even know it. The freedom comes when we give ourselves away. So in history, people will look back and say, man, that person was different. And look how he or she lived. In the end, what does Boaz do? He does for Naomi and Ruth what they could never do for themselves. Sound familiar? Isn't that what Jesus has done for us? Jesus came to this broken world to rescue people like you and I because we can never do it on our own. We needed someone to redeem us. We needed someone to rescue us. We needed someone with the right and the resources and the resolve to redeem us. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus had the right because he was a relative of ours, born of a woman, just like every one of us were. And he had the right resources because Jesus was without sin and had, had power over death itself. Did he have resolve? Oh, yes, he did. Look at the cross. Look at the resurrection. See, Jesus is our ultimate redeemer. So if you find yourself in a place where you need rescued, whether you don't know Jesus at all and you have realized that today or you have realized it's been a slow fade and you haven't been in Scripture, and coming to church is a chore, you're not praying, the way you're treating everybody, you wouldn't do for others what maybe people would do for you, maybe it's time to say, Jesus, I need you to redeem me again. Rescue me from this path and bring me back on yours. And that's how I wanna end our time together, just praying individually about that. So would you just pray with me? If you are here today and you just feel like, yeah, wow, no, I'm more like that nameless guy. And no, I... I don't give myself away. And there is something in my life other than Jesus at the center. I'm just praying right now you would recognize that Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. That not only did he have the right, not only did he have the resources, he has the resolve to bring you back again. Would you cry out to him right now? Would you just say, Jesus, I have made a left turn where I shouldn't have. I want to be like Boaz. I want to be like you. Help me to restart today and follow you. For those of us today who are like Ruth and Naomi and we are here and we're like, unless somebody steps in, I'm going to make a mess of my life and there's nothing I can do about it. Would you know that Jesus had the right, the resources, and the resolve to take on your sin, your death itself, and overcome it three days later? Would you just say, Jesus, I want to live for you today. I want to follow you. I don't want to mess around with you. I want to be known to be a Jesus follower in this broken world. 
Lord, whatever path we're on, we cling to you as our ultimate redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Go sign up at that kid's table. Thank you.